0: Well, our theme for Easter is Then He Rose, which is that song that we sang at the very beginning this morning. Uh, and it says that Jesus came, he paid it all, and then he rose. And, and I love that because it shows a whole picture. As Mark said, when Jesus said it was finished on the cross, he meant it's finished, it's paid in full. Every price that needed to be paid for the forgiveness of our sins was paid on the cross. He didn't need to do any more to forgive us. His blood and his death was enough. And I think it's important that we hear that. His blood and his death was enough. Is enough for you. But that wasn't the end of God's plan of salvation. His death on the cross was only the first part of the plan. The second part is that he would walk out of that grave alive. And Paul, in fact, boldly says in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Jesus did not walk out of the grave alive, then we're still lost in our sins, and we have no hope of eternity. And, and, and those are some sad words. He even says that if Jesus didn't walk out of the grave, then we're of all people to be the most pitied. And we even talked about that in our belong group this week. Like, was, was Paul exaggerating there? I mean, should we be more pitied than, than all the rest of mankind because we believe in a resurrection if it didn't happen? But he said, if Jesus didn't walk out of the grave, our faith is useless and we should be pitied. And so while he paid it all on the cross... The resurrection is also critical for us to walk in victory and for us to walk in the transformation that Jesus paid for. And so our premise is pretty simple. It's this. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. Wherever you're at in your life, whenever you encounter the resurrected Jesus, everything changes. And so what we wanted to do during this Easter season is we wanted to look at people who encountered the resurrected Jesus and to see what happened in their lives before and what that encounter meant to them. And so we started last week looking at Peter and and Peter's experience with the resurrected Jesus. And today, we're going to look at Mary Magdalene. And we're going to look at her experience and what it meant. And for Mary Magdalene, that her devotion was rewarded the moment she encountered the resurrected Jesus. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Um, I I came to Christ at 22, so I wasn't raised in church as a kid. I knew nothing about the Bible growing up as a kid or a teenager. But at 22 years old, I, I gave my life to Christ. And one of the things that was taught in the church that I was saved in and just kind of one of the things that I was led to believe is that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute and specifically that she was the prostitute from Luke chapter seven. And so as I'm thinking about Mary Magdalene as the prostitute, I'm like, oh man, this sermon is gonna write itself. This sermon's gonna be so easy. I mean, come on, a prostitute redeemed by Jesus? That, that's gonna preach Jesus? But then we were in staff meeting a couple weeks ago and one of my staff members raised her hand and she said, "Um, I don't think Mary was a prostitute. And I was like, really? That's what I've always been taught. So I had to go back to the Bible and I had to study it. And turns out, she wasn't a prostitute. And I'm like, man, that messes up my whole sermon. I gotta start from scratch. And, And so I had to do a whole lot more studying and a whole lot more praying to come up with a sermon because she wasn't. And so as an introduction to Mary Magdalene, I think it's important to point out who she's not. Because I think there's a lot of misinformation in the church today about who she is and who she is not. So the first one is, she is not the prostitute from Luke chapter 7. And the second thing is, she is not the adulterous woman from John chapter 8. But especially in movies, she always seems to be portrayed this way. If you've watched The Passion of the Christ, Jesus Christ Superstar, lots of other movies portrays her, but that's not who she is. She is also, was not Jesus' wife or girlfriend. And this is actually a a lie that's being perpetuated in our time today. that, That there was actually this big conspiracy and Jesus actually snuck off the cross, ran away and married Mary Magdalene and they snuck off to France and had kids together. It's not true. A lot of that actually comes from Gnosticism. If, if, if you're not familiar, Gnosticism was around the same time that Christianity was being born. So, so right around 0 AD, Gnosticism was around. And Gnosticism is this religious belief that the only way to salvation is discovering secret knowledge. That there are hidden secrets in the universe, and if you would discover these hidden secrets, you would find the path to salvation. Well, because Gnosticism was around the same time that Christianity was blossoming around the known world, the Gnostics wanted to find a way to confuse the Christians and win the Christians over. And so what they did is they would write these Gnostic books and then they would put the name of a key person from the Bible on the book to give it some credibility. And so nowadays you might hear about in the news or you might watch the History Channel on TV and you might read about the Gospel of Philip, or the Gospel of Judas, or the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. These are all Gnostic writings. They were not written by Philip or Judas or Mary. They're all Gnostic writings that they just added their names to to try to infiltrate Christianity. But it's in these Gnostic writings where it's implied that Mary Magdalene was Jesus' girlfriend and that they had a little side thing going on. And and none of that is true. So, I think these are important that that, that we clear this up. That that she was not a prostitute, she was not an adulterous woman, she was not Jesus' wife or girlfriend, they didn't sneak off to France together, all right, none of that happened. So then who is she? Well, the name Magdalene means that she was from the village of Magdala in the region of Galilee, which is northern Israel, and this village was probably right on the Sea of Galilee. Because it was right on the Sea of Galilee, it was most likely a fishing town, but that's about all that we know. We aren't given a whole lot. In fact, we know nothing of the life of Mary Magdalene before Jesus healed her from demonic oppression, and then after the resurrection. There's nothing before that, and there's nothing after that. And so that's probably why there's a room for a lot of speculation where a lot of these falsehoods and rumors and, and legends were birthed is because. We just don't have a lot of information about her. But let's dive into the information we do have about Mary Magdalene. We're going to start in Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read the first three verses here of Luke chapter 8. It says, Soon afterwards, he, being Jesus, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, these were the 12 disciples that he had chosen. to to walk with him and to teach. But then verse 2 is interesting. It says, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. So he had, we always hear about the group of 12 men that traveled with Jesus. But we don't hear a lot about the group of women that traveled with Jesus. In fact, this is the only verse in the whole New Testament that, that discusses it It discusses these women traveling with him. And then it mentions it again briefly. We'll find out uh, at the crucifixion. But there is this group of women that Jesus had either healed them from a disease or had cast evil spirits out of them and set them free. And in their gratitude, they wanted to travel with Jesus. And not only did they travel with him, but they actually financially supported his ministry. Listen to this. It says, Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So these were women who were clearly wealthy, so they had had financial means of their own, and they were able to support the ministry of Jesus through their financial means. And so they traveled with him, and so that means that they probably helped purchase food, it probably means that they would help to secure lodging and dwelling places. Now, now let's be clear. In Jewish tradition, it would have been completely inappropriate for men and women to sleep together or to even congregate together intimately. And so even though these women were traveling with Jesus and his group of 12, in no way were they hanging out together intimately. In no way were they sleeping in the same lodging together. Um, In fact, it's doubtful that they even ate at the same table together, right? Just because of Jewish tradition. But they did travel with him, and they were a, a critical part of his ministry. And they were attached to him because he had healed them or because he had delivered them. And we know this about Jesus, that Jesus at his time probably empowered women more than any other person of his time. In Jewish culture and and, and probably in many cultures around the world at this point in history, women were severely oppressed. Women were not able to work, right? And so only men could provide. And so if your husband died and you were a widow and you didn't have grown children to take care of you, you were gonna fall into poverty and you were gonna be destitute because you would have no way of supporting yourself. So women were not allowed to work. Uh, Women were not allowed really to interact with men in public. And, and Jesus broke that tradition several times, which really freaked people out that, that he was talking to women and that he was praying with women. Women's testimony held no validity. A woman testifying in court meant nothing. Nobody would believe the testimony of a woman. So as you can see, this was a time when, when women were oppressed and women didn't have a voice and women were not empowered. And along comes this man named Jesus. Jesus who begins to break all the patriarchal traditions of the day that said that women were second-class citizens and that women had no value. And he began to value them. He began to give them a voice. He began to empower them that, that they could be more. And, and from that day until this day, Jesus has empowered women and, and Jesus has delivered women. And so what do we know about Mary's deliverance? Well, very little. All it says is that she had seven demons cast out of her. So the first question is, well, why did she have seven demons in her in the first place? Well, we don't know, but we can speculate from a parable that Jesus told, right? That he spoke of that if somebody was oppressed by a demon and, and a, a, a man of God would come along and cast out that demon, but the person didn't surrender their life to God and didn't walk in God's ways, didn't deal with their heart, didn't clean up those things that were in their spirit and in their life, then Jesus said that that demon would actually get seven of his friends and come back. And the person would be worse off than they were before. So maybe, just maybe, Mary Magdalene had a demon. A Jewish exorcist came along, cast the demon out of her, but did not disciple her to change her life, to get her heart right with God, to clean some things up in her life. And so that demon was ticked off, went and got seven of his friends, came back and took control of her life again. And she was worse off than she was before. And when Jesus finds her, she's oppressed by seven demons. Jesus cast those demons out of her. Now, We've already cleared up that Mary Magdalene was not the prostitute from Luke 7. But in that story, Jesus teaches a a critical principle. And that is this. He who is forgiven much, loves much. Right? As that prostitute was weeping over his feet. And washing his feet with her hair. And pouring expensive anointing oil upon his feet. And the religious folk that were around the table were sneering at this woman. Doesn't Jesus know what a sinful woman this is? How could he let her even touch him? And Jesus said to these guys, she's been forgiven much, and so she's loving me much. He's like, you guys, you won't even kiss me on the cheek. You didn't even offer me a pail of water to wash my own feet. But here she is loving me much. He who is forgiven much loves much. And so what we know about Mary Magdalene is that as she was delivered from much, she loved Jesus. She was passionate about Jesus. She was devoted to Jesus because he had brought such great deliverance in her life. And so for the rest of Jesus' ministry, we don't hear about these women. We know that they're traveling with them, they're financing the ministry, they're they're an important part of it, but we don't hear about these ladies again until the crucifixion. And what we find at the crucifixion is we find some courageous women that were willing to follow Jesus all the way to the place of his execution. We see it in all the Gospels, in Matthew 27, 55, and 56, it says, Many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. In Mark fifteen, forty and forty-one, Mark writes, There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James the Less, and Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they used to follow him and minister to him, and there were many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. In John nineteen and twenty-five it says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So we hear in all of these different accounts that there were women who followed Jesus all the way to the cross and watched him as he died on the cross. And in each of these accounts, it lists different women, but the same woman who's mentioned in all of them is Mary Magdalene. She was willing to follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And I find this fascinating because all of his 12 disciples Bible says when he was arrested, they took off and ran. It says in fact, one of them just had a cloak around him and when he took off to run, the guards grabbed the cloak, ripped the cloak off, and he just kept running naked because he was so scared. (laughs) Only Peter and John were willing to at least go to the courtyard where his trial was being held. But in that courtyard, Peter denied him three times. And only John, of all 12 of his followers, only John went all the way to the cross with him. So here we have this picture. All his disciples ran away and hid because they were afraid for their lives. But the women, come on ladies, the women were willing to go all the way to the cross with him. Why was that? Now the easy answer would would be to say, well, the women weren't as scared because... You know, they wouldn't arrest the women and publicly torture the women, right? Well, when we think about that, we're thinking of it from nowadays, when we honor and respect women. But remember, this wasn't nowadays. This was 2,000 years ago, when they did not honor and respect women. And so they would have no problem publicly disgracing a lady, publicly torturing a lady. In fact, if you study crucifixion, Romans crucified women as often as they crucified men. So the easy answer would be, well, the women were safer, so they felt more comfortable going to the cross. And I'm going to say no, they weren't safer. But they were more courageous. So why were they more courageous? What was it about these women that they were willing to go to the cross when even his disciples weren't? And my first thought is this, is that while the disciples were his students training to build his kingdom, the women had experienced deliverance and healing. And so while the men maybe viewed themselves as, as, as being trained up to be some sort of, you know, on a sense of being a master student or, 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 uh, or employer, employee or whatever the case may be, that's not why the women were fine. The women were following him because they had been healed and delivered. And because it so touched their heart, they were willing to go all the way to the cross with him. Here's another thought. While the disciples learned from him, the women cared for him. So maybe while the disciples saw him as teacher and master, the women had that nurturing instinct that they were caring for him, right? We just read that from Matthew, that these women ministered to him, right? Which means they, again, they may have uh, prepared places to stay. They may have prepared the food. They may have uh, you know, washed his clothes for him. I don't know, right? They, they, they ministered to him. These women had the nurturing spirit that took care of him. And because of that, they were willing to go all the way. He wasn't just a teacher. He was somebody they cared intimately for. And the third thought was this, is that while the disciples were moved by fear, the women were moved by grief. The disciples were moved by fear, but the women were moved by grief. What does fear do? Fear causes us to look out for ourselves. Fear causes us to be afraid, and because of that, we want to protect us and our interests. And those men, they were afraid, and so they wanted to protect their interest, which was their lives. And so they ran away, and they hid. But the women, they weren't moved by fear. They were moved by grief. But this was the man who had empowered them. This was the man who had given them value. This was the man who they had cared for and whom they had walked with. And, and, and so they were moved by grief. And grief doesn't care about itself. Grief cares about others. And so these women weren't concerned about themselves and their own well-being. They were concerned about Jesus. And because of that, they were willing to go all the way to the cross with him. Not only that, but we find that Mary Magdalene not only went all the way to the cross, she went all the way to the tomb. As we continue to read in all of these gospel accounts, Matthew 27, 61 says, And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. So even as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took the body off the cross and wrapped it and mummified it and laid it in this tomb, it says that Mary Magdalene followed them all the way to the tomb. She wanted to see where he would be buried. Mark 15, 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were looking on to see where he was laid. Luke 23, 55, now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So Mary Magdalene not only had the courage to go to the cross, she had the devotion to go all the way to the tomb to see where he was buried. Why? Because the story then tells us that she went home and she began to prepare the spices because she wanted to properly embalm the body of Jesus. She wanted to properly care for Jesus even after he was dead and she figured it was her last chance to minister to him. It was her last chance to show her devotion to Jesus would be to prepare the spices and to go properly embalm his body. So she not only had the courage to go all the way to the cross, she had the devotion to go all the way to the tomb. She wanted to know where he was laid so that she could continue to minister to him. And so that takes us to that Resurrection Sunday so many years ago. John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2 say this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So she encounters the stone rolled away. She encounters the empty grave and immediately she runs to where the 12 disciples, or it's 11 at this point because Judas has already betrayed them, where they are hiding and she says, the body is gone. Somebody has stolen the body of our Lord. The story says that Peter and John ran to the grave sites to see for themselves that the body was gone. But then we pick it up in verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and she looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. We hear the continued devotion of Mary's heart. She says, I just want to properly care for his body. If you've taken it, just tell me where it is. I'll go take care of it. But then Jesus said to her, Mary. And when she said that, something happened where then she recognized him. She turned and said to him, "Rabbi," which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. And so Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I find it interesting, he says, stop clinging to me. In the same story in Matthew, it says that she had fallen at his feet and was worshiping as she held on to his feet. And Jesus says, stop clinging to me. It's kind of interesting why he would say that. We don't exactly know why, Probably the best speculation is that he was trying to teach her that there was going to be a new way to worship him and it was going to be through the spirit of God because he was going to ascend to heaven and she could no longer physically hold on to his feet anymore. And so he says, stop clinging to me for I have not ascended to heaven yet. But she encounters the risen Jesus. In the story in Matthew 28, in the first two verses, it says this, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave, and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. I was actually reading Max Lucado, and Max Lucado had this thought. I just thought it was wonderful. Why did the angel roll the stone away, right? The assumption is he rolled the stone away so Jesus could walk out. But we read a little bit later, Jesus had all the ability to walk through walls. Jesus didn't need the stone rolled away so that he could get out of the tomb. The angel rolled the stone away, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that his disciples could see in, so that they could see that it was truly empty so that they could announce the empty grave because they saw it for themselves. Let me invite the worship team to come back today. So what are we getting to here? What what do we learn from the life of Mary? And then what is this message of Mary's devotion being rewarded? Well, we wanna think about what was the state of mind? What was the state of emotion? What was the state of heart that Mary was in right at that moment that she was weeping at the empty grave, she turns around, she assumes it's a gardener talking to her, and she cries out, what was the state of her heart? Think about this. This is what she may have been saying to herself. She may have been saying to herself, I just watched the ugliness of humanity swallow up the most beautiful person I've ever known. The most beautiful person she'd ever encountered. And she had to watch as the ugliness of humanity tortured him and mocked him and murdered him. I just watched the personification of love itself be rewarded with hate and murder. Jesus did nothing but love, and for it he was retributed with hate. She sang to herself, the one who empowered me when nobody else would, The one who empowered me more than any other person I've ever known. And now he's gone. And I can't walk with him anymore. And now I can't even express my love properly by anointing his body. Because somebody has stolen it. The one who delivered me and saved me wouldn't even save himself. And it was in this state of mind that she is weeping, but that is where we get to the point, and that is this, but then he rose. But then he rose. Mary was in a place of grief and bitterness as she is weeping, as she just experienced such hate and such ugliness and such brokenness in her life, and now she's questioning, am I going to go back to being nobody? Am I going to go back to being devalued? Am I going to go back to being demon-possessed and to being under the control of evil spirits? Do I have to go back to all of that? And in that moment, what she thought was the gardener spoke her name, Mary. And in that moment, she encountered the resurrected Jesus and everything changed. Everything changed. Come on. she encountered the resurrected Jesus, she could say, now I know the beauty of God will always overcome the ugliness of man. The beauty of God will always overcome the ugliness of man. Now she could say, laying at the feet of the resurrected Jesus, now I know that nothing can stop my deliverer. I don't have to go back because he keeps moving. And nothing is gonna stop him, and so I know now that nothing is gonna stop me. I don't have to go back to who I used to be, I don't have to go back to being stuck anymore. I am gonna be free all the days of my life. And now I know, come on, you can clap for that. And now I know that I can always draw close to him. He told me to stop clinging to his feet. But that's only because he was sending his spirit so that I can always draw close to him. I can always worship at the feet of Jesus through the spirit of God that's being put inside of me. And now I've experienced the reward of my faith and all of my devotion. Because of the resurrection, my devotion has been rewarded. Hebrews eleven six says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Come on. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Oh, but if we'll come to him and we'll believe that he is, what does it mean that he is? That he's always present, always eternal, that he is everything. He's in everything. He's through everything. He created everything. From the burning bush thousands of years ago, he said to Moses, my name is I Am. We've got to believe that he is. But also that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Your devotion will be rewarded if you seek him. If, like Mary Magdalene, you have the courage to go all the way with him. If, like Mary Magdalene, You have the devotion to continue to follow him. You will be rewarded just as she was. Can I invite our prayer team to come this morning? If you're a part of our regular Sunday prayer team, can you come up today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I want to take the opportunity, if anybody needs prayer today, to invite you to to come for prayer. Maybe you're experiencing the ugliness of humanity in your life. Maybe it's your own ugliness or maybe it's the ugliness of people around you that are hurting you. And you need the beauty of God to swallow up the ugliness today. Prayer team, move to the middle here. Don't be shy. Come on down. Come all the way across the front of the stage. And you need the beauty of God this morning. You would come for prayer. Maybe you need To bring some brokenness to Jesus today. And have God put the broken pieces back together. Maybe you need to draw close to him again. You felt far from him. Maybe you're making a decision for the very first time today. That you want to follow Jesus. And you want to receive all of the reward. The forgiveness of your sins. The relationship with God. The spirit of God giving you a brand new life. And you would come and ask for prayer today. But if you need prayer for anything, if you need healing, if you need a touch of God, if you need encouragement, if you need strength today, I want to invite you to come. The resurrected Jesus is here. And he wants to speak to each one of you by name. And just as he spoke the name Mary, when he speaks your name today, everything will change. And that encounter with him will begin to bring all of the blessings of heaven into your life. All of the power of the kingdom of God. All of the love of God himself into your life as you encounter the resurrected Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can begin to come even now for prayer. Come for prayer. If you've got to wait in line for a minute, you can wait in line.